this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Hi everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Mullinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, Mabel takes matchmaking too far when she steals a love potion from a real love god. We're talking about Gravity Falls, the love god this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. How'd you like this one? It was good. I have a lot to talk about in this one. So I kind of feel this way about this too, which is kind of like why I'm, I'm sort of just jumping right into it. To me, like, for the episode itself, it's a fine, it's fine, it's a fine episode. But the meta around this episode and the behind-the-scenes stuff of this episode is what has become the most important part of this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have I have some issues with some stuff in the episode. Most of it to do with the meta. Some of it not. I, I have some over part of the overall message of the the this one. Yeah, this one's kind of a weird one. I mean, love love potions are always kind of a squeaky trope, you know, because you, you're mm-hmm. pretty much taking away people's autonomy to make their own decisions and choices, and just forcing people together and just being like, and it's forever now. Like love potions have always been just the not best trope and stuff. Yeah, that's why they covered it by having a love god in charge of it. So, so the assumption was he knew it. You know, it was his skill to to actually just pick people that should be to get that were supposed to be together and just provide the impetus or whatever. Yeah. But my big non-meta issue has nothing to do with the love potion. Oh, that's interesting. I would love mm-hmm. to hear it. You will. That's what the show's about. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not gonna tell you any of my notes. Well, you ready to get into the love god? I am. All right, let me take a sip because I'm about to read a very long interview. Because, like I said, ah, the meta is important for this episode. So, the love god is the 29th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on November 10th, 2014. It was written by Alex Hirsch and Simpsons classic writer Josh Weinstein. Oh. The director was Sunil Hall, and the storyboard artist was Sabrina Catugno, Emmy Cesariga, and Vaughn Tada. Some extra information for you. The Love God is voiced by John DiMaggio, who is the voice of Manly Dan in the show. Oh, wow. Well, oh, I'm thinking Joe DiMaggio. I just wish I had my last name was Tada. That's a great last name. That's the second time you've said this on the show, so you must really love that last name. <laughs> I do. Tada! I would love it. I'm Chris. Tada! Ta-da! <laughs> that was exactly the joke that you said last time. Oh, jeez, yeah. I'm and I only old. know that because I just edited that episode maybe like a week or two ago, so it's very fresh on my brain. Uh, <laughs> Robbie's father, Greg Valentino, is voiced by Kurt Braunholer. His other works include Bob's Burgers, The Big Stick, and Black Monday. Robbie's mother, Janice Valentino, is voiced by Kimberly Mooney. Her other works include being the voice of Finberly in Fish Hooks. The name of this episode is an allusion to one of Don Knotts' movies, The Love God, with a question mark at the end. Well, definitely that would be with Don Knotts, yeah. would <laughs> have a question mark at the end. Gosh, it's been so long since I've seen the Don Knotts movie, but like I used to you watch You ever seen all- The Amazing Mr. Limpid? 
That's a long, of... long time ago. Because my my dad was like loved Don Knotts, so like he would always watch them when I was a kid. So I, I know I've seen a lot of them because I, I I have vivid memories of Don Knotts in my head. I just couldn't tell you the plot of any of the movies because I was so tiny. Luke Jacanetti on Two Two Freaks does a mean Don Knotts impression. Really? He does a yeah. He does an amazingly perfect Don Knotts. It's yeah. I mean, he can do like especially his character from the Andy Griffith show. But he could he could just do General Don, you know, just General Don Knotts. And it's, yeah, really good. Some of the Woodstick artists are parodies of real life bands. Dracula Weekday is for Vampire Weekend. Lawrence Plus the Bicycles is Florence and the Machines. DJ OK is OK Go. And Boston, Massachusetts is Boston. I've never heard of Florence and the Machine. That's the only band I've ever heard of. They're one of my favorite bands. Oh, Florence Welsh, man. Oh, oh, she, I love her. Oh, my God, I love her, Chris. Like, I, I really like, I'm, there's very few things I'm just like, I like this band, but oh, my God, I love Florence and the Machines. Oh, Florence. Sure. You have heard her. I know you have, because I know you watch Game of Thrones. So, remember, oh, what episode was it? Oh, oh, hold on. Hope's got to Google something. She sang the credits version of a song called Jenny and the Olstones from in Game of Thrones. And it was in the eighth season, uh, uh, Knights of the Seven Kingdoms. It was the episode that Podrick, I think, got promoted? Anyway, uh, she sang the closing credits, and she sang Jenny's of the Oldstone. So you have heard her before, because I know you've watched Game of Thrones. So I really love Florence and the Machine, guys. I have. Yes, yes, yes. I, I absolutely love her. She's one of the best artists of my time. Anyway, Mabel having a crush on the guy in the $10 bill, a.k.a. Alexander Hamilton, is a callback to the unaired pilot. It was an unused joke from the unaired pilot. And before anybody asks, yes, this was written before the musical Hamilton came out. So it's not a Hamilton reference. But I will tell you, that joke, once Hamilton did come out, got a lot of mileage on the fandom. (laughs) Alright, so now we're starting to get into the meta of this episode. In early storyboards, and I think it was Sabrina Catugno who did this storyboard, but I have to double check. Storybirds. Yeah. In early storyboards, the love god's necklace was originally the transgender equality symbol, but it was forced to be changed to the male-female symbols linked together. And the other, and this is tucked in, guys. I'm about to read an interview. After the show had completed, Mary Sue writer Vry Kaiser had the chance to interview Alex Hirsch about the change scene in this episode where Disney forced Alex's hand to take out two little gay ladies. He said in this interview, If you followed me for a while, you know I've never been shy about discussing my frustrations with Disney censors, and this was one of the most frustrating incidents of all. Back on Love God, there was a scene in the script that described a few random couples in the diner falling in love through the power of Cupid's magic. When one of our storyboard artists presented the scene to me, she made one of the couples two lovable old ladies. It was sweet and casual, and I knew instantly that it was going to turn into a huge fight with Disney. So naturally, I left it in. The note came back immediately with the scene of the two old ladies kissing in the diner is not appropriate for our audiences. Please revives. And I responded with a one-word answer. Why? This basically broke the censors. They couldn't think of a single way to phrase an answer to the question, so they made me talk on the phone, so there would be no paper trail. 
They were terrified of sounding like bigots. But honestly, I don't think they were bigots. I think they were cowards. They basically admitted that there was no good reason why I should change it, but that they get complaints about this stuff from various homophobic parents and would rather avoid the headache. So couldn't I just drop it? I said that if we were, were basically being held hostage by bigots, and screw that. Let's rise above this crap and just pull the trigger. The worst thing that can happen is we'll get some letters. Who cares? Disney's a giant company. We can survive some letters from some cranks. I don't think they necessarily disagreed, but there is no incentive in their job to say yes to things. I kept going back to them. We probably had six or so conversations about it. It's one of the only times I had face-to-face -face meetings with the censors. I didn't want to go back to my board artist and tell her that I lost this fight. I wanted to win, and I wanted to set a precedent. And I argued like little things like this could mean the world to some people, and that anyone who was pissed off deserved to be pissed off. But despite my greatest efforts, it finally came down to change the scene, or we'll personally cut it out of the episode ourselves. And I felt awful reporting to the artist that I lost this one. But I didn't stop trying. And I, I know this is about to be a spoiler, but this is something I've already spoiled for Chris, so don't worry about it. In the last episode, I had the two police officers, Blub and Derlins, flat out say they loved each other, and I didn't get a single note. I think the censors were finally less scared of complaining parents than they were of having to deal with how annoying I am again. Yeah, that's a good approach. That's the approach. That's using. It's 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 not a not good, but I mean he's using what they're doing. They're if if they respond to them annoying him, and that's the only thing they respond to, then you just annoy worse. It's a sad it's a sad progression. Speaking of progressions, as a follow up note, eight years later, after the Owl House episode, the Enchanting Grom Fright revealed that Amity Blight was a lesbian, and it confirmed that Luz was bisexual. Alex Hirsch, who works on the show, he's the voice of King and Hootie, and he is a consultant on the show as well. Alex Hirsch tweeted out, Back when I made Gravity Falls, Disney forbade me from any explicit LGBTQ rep. Apparently, the happiest place on Earth meant the straightest. But today, thanks to Dana Terrace and her team, there are explicitly queer animated main characters on Disney TV. I'm so proud and happy to say that. In 2012, the Disney censors note on this image would have been inappropriate for channel, please revise, call to discuss, to avoid a paper trail. Now in 2020, there's no note at all. Props where props are due. This time, Disney, you did good. And then he had a follow-up tweet saying, also, if you have a problem with this stuff, take it up with your therapist or whoever in your upbringing taught you to fear something totally normal. They did you a disservice and you can still grow. Gay people exist. They live with your bullshit. You can live with theirs. I love Alex Hirsch. I love Wait, him. I have a question right now. Okay. Separate from that, there's a character in the Owl House named Grom. He's a, um, a demon. Oh my god. We have to talk to the Owl House. His full name, I think, is Gromethius, I think is his full name. Grom, Grom is the god of garage sales. Oh, really? Yes, on garage sale gloat, we pray to Grom at the beginning of our garage sale trails. I will tell you, it's a 
it's a play on prom. It's the prom episode. So it's the enchanting, it's supposed to be enchanting prom night. It's enchanting grom fright. Ours is a play on Krom, the god that, that Conan the Barbarian worships. But his uh, full name is Grometheus the Fearbringer. Oh. So, so do you want to, because I, I, I have this in my meta notes, but do you want to go ahead and just tackle this now before we get into the actual episode? Sure. Because to me, like like I was saying, like the episode's fine. It, it, it really, it's a fine little episode. It's not great. It's not terrible. There's no bad episodes of Gravity Falls. But the meta of this episode has become so much more important, and the changing of the two little queer... And I sent, I sent Chris the storyboard. Of that was in, that caused all this, and it's the most like bena- like like. Yeah, yeah, I was just like, that's it, huh? Okay. It's the most pure storyboard. I just hit my mic. The most pure storyboard in the world, and it became such a big controversy. Like Alex has talked about this moment. There are YouTube videos about this moment. This is probably the most controversial moment of the entire series. Because Alex, thank God for him, he didn't shut up. He never stopped talking about it. He ta- I think he talked about it on, at Comic-Con. I think I know he's talked about it in interviews. There are multiple interviews of it. People have made videos. And the fact that he never shut up about it, and I think it's so important because he said, I don't think they wanted me to, to deal with me anymore. I was so annoying that they didn't want to deal with me anymore. Like, this was such a huge ball rolling because it really did kind of set a precedence. Because after this, we got the Good Luck Charlie Moms. We got Owl House. Like, we got, um, oh, what's that show? Andy Mack. Like, so many other shows came out after this. And I really do think because he caused such a huge fuss. Because he he came in the time when all of a sudden, okay, they could bypass a paper trail by calling him. But you got social media now, so he could talk about it. So they don't, he doesn't have, he can't prove what they said. But they know that's how it went, so he's not lying, so they can't be like, we're going to sue you for slander or something like that or, or anything. So, yeah, so he's, he's sort, he sort of got him in a, in a way. And kind of like the interesting time, because I, I know you haven't seen this show, but this episode came out a month before The Legend of Korra ended. And the reason that is important is... Legend of Korra, a month after this episode came out, and probably after two years of Alex just playing with, like, like fighting these guys after two years, the finale of Legend of Korra had the two female leads become girlfriends. And it confirmed that both of them were bisexual on Nickelodeon. And a month later, showed them up, and the internet broke. I remember. I wasn't even watching Korra at the time, and I remember when that happened, and it was everywhere. It was in the news, and I'm sure Disney just went... Oh, fuck. That could have been us. Yeah. But Disney's always been safe. We've talked about this before. We've talked about how, like, Cartoon Network had to have Steven Universe to, like, really go through the hard waters. Netflix had to have She-Ra. Like, all these shows had to come out first before we could get an Owl House after all of them. Like, if you go out of entertainment and just in, like, big corporations, it seems like the one to follow is usually, like, Nike, Fashion brands and stuff, the big fashion brands will definitely are ahead of the curve on like LGBTQ stuff, but they're not like Nike is like just one of those humongous corporations and Nike always seems to feel more comfortable going ahead than Disney because Nikes are expensive shoes. So they're like mostly selling to adults and, and they're comfortable with their audience being diverse it's almost like you watch Nike to see where it's going to filter down into next and like 
TV is like the last place a lot of times for stuff like that to to turn up. And it's still a fight. Noelle Stevenson, after, after Shira ended, she had a really interesting uh, interview where she she was told from the get go that she couldn't do a queer story from the get go. But she spent, God, she was what like four seasons, five seasons, four seasons. She f- spent the first several seasons writing to the story to where. If the two main ladies didn't end up together, it would have caused a riot. She wrote it to force their hand, and there was nothing else to do but have that finale, and she she wrote it to put the corporation in an awkward place. Rebecca Sugar fought every season to get a little bit more in, and a little bit more in, and a little bit more in, until she finally got the Garnet wedding. And and it took her, like, like, season five was, I think, Garnet's wedding, season six. And it took her fighting for six seasons just to get up to that point, to have the first queer wedding on Cartoon Network. I, was it the first? I, I'm pretty Was sure. that before or after Arthur? It was before. It was It was a few years before. God, yeah, Arthur. Fucking Arthur with his teacher, Mr. Rat, Ratbury, I think his name, getting married. And God, how it, like, it pissed off Alabama. And they were just like, ah, the PBS gays. It's so funny because probably by the time Arthur started there'd already been actual students who probably had teachers who'd gotten married i love how people the people who think that stuff is driving society when it's the exact opposite way and they think like look at disney you know with this agenda and stuff and it's like no if anybody i guess you have could accuse of having an agenda it would be like the the talent because they have to fight for that they fight for that stuff and they're like look at this company pushing this stuff and it's like no that company was just fighting that (laughs) you know 10 minutes ago it's still a fight because i was well yeah i was just watching the most recent season of ducktales which sadly is coming to an end i'm so sad ducktales is ending oh my god that's season three there's an episode in season three about uh, a moonlander named penny and penny is from the moon and so now she lives on earth so she's the alien here the whole episode's great because Launchpad went on a terrible date with her and she didn't like, and it was just, he was trying to make up for this terrible date. And finally at the end, she was like, it wasn't you. I'm just not interested in earth men. And the writer and director of that episode, Sam Keen, Samantha came out and was just like, I had to go to multiple Disney execs before I was able to put that in there. Penny is a lesbian, but I couldn't confirm it in an episode. That's the closest I could get. Oh, I thought you were going to say they, like, dubbed the word Earth in over... No, 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 but she couldn't actually, like, write that she's... Penny saying, I'm a lesbian. She had to write, I'm not into Earthmen. She couldn't even say something like, you're barking up the wrong tree or something like that? I I just know what she wrote in the, the tweet. Yeah. But that was as close as she could get. So it's still a fight in 2020, especially within Disney. Like, you have this incredibly queer show of Owl House where you have a bisexual and a, and a lesbian lead, but then you have something like DuckTales within the same company just to fight to have a character say that she doesn't like Earthmen, all within the same company on the same channel. But DuckTales contains essential, and I don't mean like they need them, but essential like they were the, they're, they're like the core Disney characters. I mean, it, it technically has Donald in it, so it's like you're toying with the characters that have been on babies. They're they're on babies' cradles and uh, and they're on the t-shirts of the same adults. So there's not really a lot of other groups that. Well, there there's always going to be 
Well, hopefully there will always be, but you know, there's always a progression. It seems like in the march of human rights, of like, okay, you get, you know, one group gets accepted, and then another group will start getting worked out, and society grows into it. It's slow. I mean, hopefully we'll run out of, <laughs> run out of that, or we'll just get to a point where everybody's just like gets the concept of like, yeah, you don't pick out a, a certain group. <laughs> And then it's done. And then every every other marginalized group gets just taken in on mass. That would be beautiful. But like, you know, I'm not holding my breath for that. But yeah, but I mean, with like Donald Duck and stuff, I imagine it's it's a lot harder for Disney to do that. It's getting to the point where it's like that's the kind of interesting thing about DuckTales, though, like. DuckTales from the get-go has been a very progressive show. They have, they're very diverse both on screen and behind the screen as well. Like, they have very diverse voice actors, writers. They've changed some of the, like, I guess it's not skin tones, but feather tones. Like, Fenton is voiced by Lin-Manuel Miranda, so he's a brown duck when Fenton used to be white in the original, in, in the original, uh, show. And they've been very progressive. Like, Violet has two dads. Right. And Violet's two dads, they don't, I don't think they've said anything yet, but they're in the background with show, with shirts with arrows that say, I'm with dad. I'm also with dad, pointing at each other. See, but that's, that's it, Hope. You've got, you, you get it though. It, well, well, that, you know, I, as a lot of the Disney executives and stuff, a lot of the Disney executives are probably gay too, just like, you know, a, a percentage of every, there's a lot of Disney executives, a lot of them have, just by percentage have got to be gay and minorities and and all that but they're they're fighting the the borg creation of the stockholders you know which is just like all the people who own stock and don't care anything about anything but their stock going up it's so funny because actually uh on this point because um i was having this conversation with my buddy emma from pink milk and lucasfilm which of course is now under the disney umbrella like they released some, I think it was like Pablo Hidalgo being really shitty in the background after the Frog Lady episode, but he had leaked, a tweet had leaked from his account that said like, we have so many women at Lucasfilm, and he posted a picture, and all the women who worked at Lucasfilm could surround a single car in a parking lot. They are a 2,000 person company, and they have maybe like 20 to 30 women in their 2,000 person company. Well, them saying, look at all the women we've got just tells you how many women they had in the past. Know. You yeah. know, <laughs> that's their idea of huge progression. But I think like with DuckTales, all that other stuff you're talking about, that's stuff that they've they've moved the line and that stuff is behind the line now. But then the other stuff is the other side of the line. The line will get moved again, but they're babies. They're 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 going to be very they're going to push the line when they know that they can successfully push it and and they probably have an algorithm of in in five years nobody will bat an eye at this and we can nudge it more towards this and and all that yeah and they have to too they have to because that is what society is becoming like too and they have to they are the they're the ones who tell the stories of that society wants to see and they have to reflect if they want to make money it used to be they didn't have to but nowadays they do have to because people won't accept just white people stuff <laughs> white guy stuff it, and it kind of gets into <laughs> looking at other things like shira the the finale of shira is a big gay kiss literally saves the universe literally saves the universe and i'm, I'm using literally and its proper definition a gay kiss literally saves the universe in the finale of shira and 
watching Shira and the just the gold standard queer content it's set and how it flipped the entire narrative on its head, it, it made me stop and look at other things like like Star Wars. Animation is trying. It's trying so hard, and it's different. Like, like Owl House and Disney can get away with stuff, because it's a much smaller show. They're not shipping it off to China. They're not shipping it off... Like, it's a much smaller show, so they can put in, like, queer characters and, like, a Latina lead. But Star Wars is a completely different beast, because it's so big. But then you look at things like Marvel! Hell, Valkyrie is bisexual, and she's gonna be, like, a... They've already said in the next Thor movie that they're like, yes, like, Valkyrie's bisexuality is really gonna be a part of the story. Marvel has a head start, though, like, in comics. In comics, too. You know, they, they, they've covered a lot of that ground in the comics. I will give you that. I will definitely give you that. So they can, they can get away with Star Wars. Star Wars, as just in general, they seems to only, like really be interested in using any kind of romance or people like getting together and have sex. It's usually there only to make sure that specific baby is born. Like there's not many, there's not many just romance stories in, in, in star Wars and the comics and in the books and stuff. They happen. I'm sure, I'm sure like Luke Skywalker got romances and stuff, but it was never usually with like, genre stories of any kind there's usually a romance all the time there's usually always a romantic and star wars just never really had too much of that in there so they could always sort of skirt it more than other stuff that would have has more huggy kissy lovey-dovey stuff going on in it i really do feel like the animation side is trying like it like we had orca and flakes who were the first on-screen queer couple in star wars like i i feel like animation is trying because they're not like again they're not shipping animation over to china but the movies are so when you have that like little token queer kiss and rise of skywalker it's so short that not even china edited it out they didn't edit it out because it was such a quick moment but they were it was a moment for jj abrams to check his box and be like we got the gays box check it's there's so many layers to a beast like star wars because like the books and the comics are so queer dr afra is a disaster lesbian. She just is, and it's part of who she is. But they've at least they've done a really good job of developing her. I, I really need to catch up on her recent run because I I haven't dove into the recent run. But it's just it's interesting when you look at like a company like Disney as a whole, and you kind of break it into pieces. That something like something small like Owl House can get away with so much, but it's something a little bit bigger tied into the Disney pantheon like DuckTales has to still walk on eggshells. And then you look at Marvel mm-hmm. who, like you said, has a head start in comics so they can kind of build that in. And then you have Star Wars, who to me is just flubbing it left and right and actually losing fans. I talked to, like, so many of my friends this past, like, two or three years has jumped ship on Star Wars because they're just so disappointed in it. And it's it's so interesting because when you look at the entirety of the Disney umbrella, there's so much intricacy of how they handle, like, queerness and diversity. It's it's really, gosh, it, it's like a, it's, it would be like a podcast series of its own to, like, really deep dive into, like, each of its different elements because it, it is, it's interesting. Yeah. Hey, I mean, everybody knows, well, I mean, everybody's family is different, but just if you just take the general generality of American families and everybody knows, like, if you bring up LGBTQ rights on Thanksgiving at a big family Thanksgiving dinner, there's a statistical odds that you're going to run into some spicy discussion amongst the family. That's what Disney's faced with, except it's their money tied up in it. 
but it's like people's jobs. Somebody could all, all of a sudden be outside the Disney Corporation because they let, you know, one of the censors let something through and then somebody who answers it to the stockholders comes to their office and says, why did you do this? That was Good Luck Charlie. One of, I think it was either the final episode of Good Luck Charlie or the, the second to last episode of Good Luck Charlie, but the show was ending and it was, it was right there at the finale and in like, they introduced two moms. And people on Disney, like, 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 people lost their fucking shit. Like, there was, like, petitions. To, <laughs> it was so funny. There was petitions to cancel Good Luck Charlie when the show was already ending. So it was kind of like this. Alex Hirsch was able to get away with Derlin and Blubs because it was the final episode. And there was, there was no canceling the series. It was ending. And it's, yeah. So, so that's, that's the thing about this episode with the love god. Like, we just, this episode is fine and it's interesting, but we had just what, like a 20 minute conversation about why the, the meta around this episode is so much more important than the actual episode itself. Because like, and that's what, like, I think that story-wise, this is a fine episode, but this is actually like one of the most important episodes to me of Gravity Falls because of that cut scene and the fallout. To kind of wrap this up, I pulled up the tweets from Sam King about her confirming that Penny and DuckTales is a lesbian. And I just want to end this by saying that, from reading from one of the tweets, and she says, But I also want to be clear. I want, and we should always, continue to ask for better. Let's all keep working for more. I've seen a lot of huge strides in the industry, and I'm looking forward to much better rep in the future. Thank you, Sam King. I'll just say what I was saying to you in, in text earlier today is, okay, this episode... Yeah, let's actually start talking about the episode. <laughs> the epi- This episode has a three-way joke in it, right? The love guy obviously has a three-way joke with the, the get him guy in it. Yeah! <laughs> get him! He rolls out of the, t- the back of a van with Tyler in a lady. It's a three-way. He just had a three-way with the, with the three of them, and he even makes a sort of freaky, freaky-deaky joke. All right, we have... Two, count them two, references to bestiality. <laughs> I wasn't sure how you meant that, because isn't bestiality human to animal? I would guess bestiality would also be just different species. I think we mostly talk about bestiality because we are humans. <laughs> so we're ta- we usually don't, and I don't think you see too much of freaky-deaky animal bestiality but he did. He said this potion's for interspecies relationships, which that includes humans. And we had a snadger joke. I love the snadger. Where they not only tape together, but they're like they're going. She said they're going to make a snadger. So we know what that means. So they got those jokes in there, and they couldn't get a, a wholesome smooch from some old ladies hopping. And they even even that they they at least made that relationship interracial. Mm-hmm. It's just weird what they could get. A, I mean, a three-way joke is more acceptable in, on a kid's show than than a little little smooch between old ladies. Oh, Chris, wait till next week. Like, put a pen in that because there's definitely a scene a, a scene next week that is gruesome. It, uh, and I mean gruesome, like in a horror movie kind of gruesome. Yeah. Like, and it's when you when you think of these two little old ladies, and then you look at next week, and you're just like, what the fuck? How did they get away with that? Not this. Right. Well, that's 
classic America. That's classic America. We're okay with the gruesome and bloody and violent, but it's when things start talking about sexy time, unless it's just classic boobs, sexy time, you know, good old, good old American missionary boobs, sexy time. Then that's, that's hot and spicy. Maybe some some hot lesbians thrown in there. That's actually like a really like huge talking point among people is uh, especially especially like it was really big a few years ago when Tumblr banned nipples on their their thing and, and I think Instagram and Facebook too they would ban nipples but not men's nipples and there's this really great PSA about checking uh, how to do breast checks but because on Instagram they couldn't use a woman's nipples they have just this really big guy with big old man boobs come out and he steps in front of the woman to shield her and she does the breast check on him to show how to do it because his nipples were fine but hers would have got their video banned so like that's a whole different talking point about how women's bodies because think how often, think how often you see penises. Like, I remember, like, when I was watching Game of Thrones and I saw a penis, I was like, that's a penis! But you see Daenerys, like, constantly naked all the time. Like, we, we have totally normalized, like, seeing women, but not men. Right. We're sort of catching up with Britain and Europe with, like, Game of Thrones was the big one. And, and I hear this, and I love, and, and this has happened with uh, Black Mirror, too, is I work with, with younger people and, like, some some people I would I would say I would consider them progressive, but let's just say a little homophobic is is like built into their culture. But big fans of like Game of Thrones and Black Mirror, so like you know you'd hear them talking and be like Game of Thrones, oh that's hot, but why did they have to have that scene with the two guys? I mean they were just like pounded away at each other and like it's that's America is if. We can cope with almost anything, but anything that makes people feel a little icky in in sexy timeland makes a big fuss and uproar. We are descendants of Puritans, or, you know, our culture and society is descended from Puritans. Well, as always... Hope Makes Trips Watch Cartoons is broken into parts. <laughs> part one is the story and <laughs> characters. Part two is Dipper's journal entry. Part three is the ciphers and connections to previous episodes. Part four is Chris's speculations and theories corner. And then we will wrap up the episode. So, Chris, what were your favorite parts of the episodes that got all your jams jimmied? Nice use of Thompson. Nice use of Thompson! <laughs> I call those fire sign theater lines because they instantly have two amazingly connected double meanings, which it's it's a phrase, you know, like people will say, nice use of that word. So he was, and, and, and saying nice use of Thompson sort of objects, objectifies Thompson by having him as a word is just instead of a person. And then on top of it, it also, it also literally means nice use of Thompson <laughs> because you're getting him to perform a task. And so I just thought that was a, a brilliantly witty line. I like that Mabel was uh, considering the multi-bear as a potential romantic partner for Robbie. I thought you would like the multi-bear. Put the multi-bear in the maybe. But you notice she st- she had she had models of everybody. So at one point, like, she had considered and discarded Grunkle Stan. And finally, finally, number three, the goat and pig song. I thought you would like the goat and the pig song. It's almost like Ebony. It was a little bit like Ebony and Ivory and Dog and Butterfly mixed together. 
There's actually, it's it's a reference to an actual song, and I didn't put it in the notes. It is a reference to, let me pull up the things. Um, Go in a Pig song featuring the end credits is a parody to the song, This Will Be an Internal Everlasting Love by Natalie Cole. Oh, yeah, I know. This will be an everlasting love. 70s. Um, my favorite parts, first and foremost, I love everything about Robbie's parents. They're so amazing. It explains, as soon as you find out there is parents, you're like, of course. And it's kind of, I think it's kind of a, a joke on the HBO series Six Feet Under about a family that lived in a, that ran a funeral home and the, and the daughter was gothed out troublemaker. I, I, I love them, especially the particular line after Stan's balloon has crashed, and they just go, oh, no, I hope someone didn't die. Yes, that would yeah. be awful. Well, that's the thing is, you, you actually, they set them up to be totally wholesome, and that's the joke. They're, like, totally wholesome, but they're funeral directors. But then you find out, no, they're set, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like Seuss's line from the shorts of, I make my own economy. They're, they're just, they see that and they're like, oh, we're getting paid tomorrow. <laughs> you you finally see a little dark corner of them and it's, it's great. They're so good. I love Robbie's parents so much. Robbie's door is a, is a good um, other mention, honorable mention for me too. Cause I, I knew a lot of teenage friends. I had a lot of teenage friends and knew teenagers with doors like that. Metalhead, teenage metalheads. Yeah. Of course I love the snatcher. I just, I, I just love the word snatcher. Like, they're going to make a snatcher. I had that too, but I saw you had it. <laughs> just, it's such a quick little joke, but I love when love God's like, here, have a cassette. And was like, thanks. And immediately casually drops it into the trash can. <laughs> That's exactly what you do. <laughs> That's so true, and it's exactly what you do, especially if you're in the Pacific Northwest. And my, my final favorite part is just the entirety of the Stan balloon sequence. Not only, it's just, for one, that balloon is just so horrifyingly brilliant. Oh, 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 let's talk about the, the two rude jokes in that. I First, I heart kids, and then... And then which I thought, I'm like, ooh, that's a little sketchy. And then it, it turned into I eat kids. So it just was a double whammy of offensiveness. But the entire sequence is just so beautifully animated. Like when the balloon is crashing and there's that big shot where they're like, is the balloon going to eat us? Yes, Charlie. And then it pulls out and the balloon's just coming for them. <laughs> like that's a gorgeous shot. That's absolutely ridiculous. Oh, it's burning and it's lighting up the tree. That the, And just I like how it's just about to land on them and they cut away from it. And I was just like, oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> So to get into the episode, like like I was saying, like this is an okay episode. So most of my notes are just kind of basic, I should say. When it comes to Mabel in this episode, I like how this episode showcases Mabel's greatest flaw. But every time they showcase Mabel's greatest flaw, it turns into her greatest strength. What I mean by that is one of Mabel's flaws is wanting to help people to a fault. And the fault is not listening and believing that she knows better than them, which is fine. She's 12. She's, this is a very 12-year-old thing to do, to think that 
she knows better and that she knows best because she's, you know, she feels like she has this experience, even though everybody else is telling her to lay off of, of Robbie. Every single person tells her to do that, but she does it anyway, and it leads to the mistakes. Even though all her relationships have been a, a mess. Yeah, absolutely, but she feels like she knows best. The, the thing about that flaw is it leads to Mabel's greatest attributes, because what I love about Mabel Pines is when she's wrong, she owns it. She understands why she's wrong, that she's wrong, and then she works so hard to fix it every single time. And I think that's a really admirable trait to have because it's actually really hard owning mistakes. You know, people don't want to admit they're wrong. Admitting they're, when you're wrong is one of the most important things a person can do to grow. It's a very important part of life, and it's difficult to face our own flaws. But what's cool about Mabel is when she is wrong, she always owns it and she works so hard and she doesn't rest until she makes it right. And I think that's a really good trait for Mabel. In this episode, I think it's more important for her to realize it and to acknowledge it. But then it gets to the point where it's like she's on the verge of trying to fix it mm-hmm. and then realizes maybe I fixed this enough, you know, and I yeah. should... I should just back off this and realize that I messed up and not potentially mess this up worse by doing anything. And I think that was the like important it was that was like a fine tune in her her Mabel, you know, Mabel and Dipper learn a lot of the same lessons, but like it's it's like little fine tunings of them and more they get more nuanced. It gets more nuanced as time goes on. And this was just a little more of like admit your mistake and know to just back away from it and know that you you mess things up, but maybe give it some space before you do anything. And then with just a little bit of space, everything just sort of sorted itself out like it usually does in friend groups of, of 12 to 16, 14, 15-year-olds. Yeah, I think they're 16. Cause, well, because at least Thompson's old enough to drive, so... Right, right. So, so about Robbie... I wouldn't quite call this a Robbie redemption because he's still a shit the entire way through the episode. He's just a shit. But I, I do like getting a little to know him more because it makes him more relatable. We get to see what makes him tick. And, and I like that very honest moment at the end that he has with Mabel of just like being like, really, thank you. Like you helped me see. Yeah. And But I, I found that very realistic because I've known a lot of Robbies in my life, me you too. know, from yeah. when I was his age to when I've been older and stuff. And they do. They go through an arc of that. They they go through an arc. And a lot of times, a lot of them end up being the most, like, they get, they, 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 they a lot of times they really get their shit together, like, emotionally, eventually. Yeah. And there's there's definitely a change in Robbie. He, I mean, yeah, he's still a bit of a shit, but, like, he's a much more relatable calmer shit that we can all like see a little bit of ourselves in he's all whacked out on love potion too that's interesting because when i get to journal number three they actually kind of had to do a little bit of a course correction on the love potion (laughs) because it is (laughs) such a skeevy it's such a skeevy plot device because you know robbie and tambry were whacked out on love potion so they and are they gonna say like there was a little rough spot where i think the love potion wore off but i think they actually really like each other and they're still together you almost said it in fact i might as well just go that's how i would write it (laughs) that was how it would most reasonably work out too so yeah but that's how i would uh whoop Right let me that. let me actually go since we're already here. Let me go ahead and read this part of the journal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm curious. This is from Mabel's point of view. 
And uh, from Mabel's point of view in journal number three, it says, I just read the fine print and discovered something crazy. It turns out the love potion isn't forever. It only lasts for three hours. After that, if it ain't true love, your match will end. I guess it's more of a nudge than anything. Wonder how the snadger is doing. Wait a minute. It's been ten hours, and Tambri and Robbie are still making out. I can see them out the window. It's totally gross, but it means that their love is actually real. Maybe I am a great matchmaker after all. It's the old, uh, here, take this magic potion to defeat the monster. And then it's like, I defeated the monster, but, you know, I was on the potion. That potion wore off two hours ago. What? It was you all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think they had to kind of like do that little bit of course corrections because love mm-hmm. potions are a skeezy little plot trope. Yeah. But I do think Robbie and Tambri are really cute. <laughs> they really are so cute together. <laughs> well, it gives it gives Tambri something to do as a character now besides yeah. look at her phone and just have a line every now and then. Yeah. My only other light notes besides what I have my issue with this my issue with the love god is i also think this might be a reference to hate comics what what do you mean what hate with an exclamation mark which i highly recommend anybody they're by peter bag and they were a 90s they were very popular in the 90s and he draws in a very cartoony style but they're a story they started out basically like sort of semi-autobiographical stories about a stoner kid in New Jersey, kind of dirtbag kid. But eventually in the 90s, Peter Bagg moved out to Seattle, so he moved his character out to Seattle, and it became a big parody of the Seattle music scene. And his best friend was this really sleazy punk rock poser guy named Stinky, whose real name was Leonard. When they moved to Seattle, Stinky formed a band called Leonard and the Love Gods. And this guy, minus the wings, looked like a fat version of Stinky. Minus like a bunch of, well, a bunch more like piercings and tattoos. Plus, this is set in the Pacific Northwest. And I was just like, this has got to be a little bit of hate comic reference in there. So what did you think of the Love God? He was a great character. They should have given him pan feet. They should have given him hooves like like pan. But he's a cherub. Yeah, but he was more of pan. He was more pan than a cherub. He was like a. He was more of a pagan god. I mean, and he was even hippie like. He was like he was somebody out of the um. Oh, what the hell do they call it? It, it was a big thing. I don't know if it even goes on anymore. It used to be just a big hippie gathering and they would ever get played drums and and stuff and it would happen someplace where there was a lot of wilderness just out in the wild it was sort of like like the uh, early bur- version of burning man but it went on for like decades oh what what the hell was it called the the something gathering like the sunshine gathering or something like Hippie that gathering i put i wrote gathering there we go rainbow gathering Rainbow Gathering. The Rainbow Gathering. And that is probably where the, probably like the beginnings of the rainbow flag started because that was the place for survivors and, and the marginalized. It was an all accepting hippie thing. As long as you didn't come in with like bad, violent vibes or something, man. But yeah, the Rainbow Gathering, the Gathering of the Tribes. That's what it would be. But he reminds me, or somebody at a Grateful Dead show, he reminds me sort of that, or a fish show, or probably these days, you know, like the big 
you know, music festivals like they had there. That's not how I expected him to be portrayed in it. So I thought that when I saw him, I'm like, okay, this is this guy's going to be our lead into the love god. And then I was very surprised to find out he was the love god. I I will say that um, earliest use of the rainbow flag uh, when in terms of the gay community was by San Francisco artist Gilbert Baker in 1978, but it didn't become the official LGBT until the 90s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it might have just been in the rainbow gathering. They might it just might that might have been where somebody adopted it as a symbol, and then it made its way into the flag. I, I'm sure the rainbow part of it wasn't. That it was sim- symbolizing ev- well, the rainbow flag does symbolize everybody. So I think symbolically it was very, it was very similar, but it wasn't adopted by anybody in particular. You know. For me, I, I like the love god as a character. I just kind of wish we got a little bit more of him, but it's so hard because it's such a packed episode. There's a lot of characters doing stuff in yeah, this episode. Yeah, there's so much, and and the only, which is a good thing, like, he's such a good character that I want more. He has so many great one-liners. I love his, I just love his, like, little off one-liners, like when, like when the lady came up and she's like, love card, sign my face. He's like, only if you sign mine, let's get weird. <laughs> like, I love that they let him just be this outlandish, out of this, like literally out of this world character because he's a cherub. I know people like him. I've been, I've been, I've been to pagan <laughs> festivals. <laughs> I, there, I oh, have, oh, guys. I have seen love, love gods running around. And one of the things that would have been like the only thing I would have added to him as a character designer with this would be a lambskin. Usually you'll have wine in it. That's why. And it's made out of, sometimes lamb fur but it's usually made out of some sort of skin nowadays it would be you know plastic or something but it's it's shaped sort of in a jug you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah and yet you would drink wine out of it i would put one of those on it because that guy would definitely have one of those full of wine they just have to put that on they wouldn't even have to show him swilling the wine from it but he would definitely have something like that guys if you want look up our other podcast jis and jedi and find episode 33, Grievous Intrigued. And Chris has a very great long story about going to a pagan festival. Yeah, 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 that's right. It's one of our most classic episodes of J.R.S. and Jedi. So, uh, yeah, check that one out. But yeah, I, I like the Lug God. Um, I, my, my only thing is I wish we had more of them. He's such a fun little character. My only really Dipper note is I kind of love seeing, like, now that Dipper's outside of the Crush storyline, he's just getting to be himself, and I love watching him fitting in with everybody in the group, because Mabel was always deceptive, but now Dipper is there because of who he is, not because he's just like, Wendy! Like, he's just accepted for being Dipper, and I, I think that's some, like, really, really nice growth. And he even says it, like, right at the beginning of the episode. He tells Mabel, like, if I learned one thing this summer is not to get involved in needless romantic drama. And it's nice seeing that growth in Dipper. I, I, it's it's about the only moment that really sticks out to me in this Dipper, other than him just being one of the guys, which which is kind of cool. It's nice seeing Dipper being one of the guys. He's been kind of the like kicking boy for so long that it's nice to see him just kind of being himself in a group. Yeah, well, he got to take a back seat in the story too, so he was just sort of like relaxing through the story and just enjoying himself. My only other shallow Mabel note is I really, really, really want Mabel's rainbow sweater. I want that sweater so bad. I want that sweater. Just go on eBay and put a search in for rainbow sweater and they'll just keep turning up. Yeah, I'm sure I could easily find one. But every time I see her that this episode, I'm just like, I want her sweater. 
And my last note about the teenagers is in the inconveniencing. And I, I didn't get a chance to go back and listen to it today, but I know we brought this up that I think it was you that brought this up is that like people like Thompson always have something like in the back of their plant, like in the back of like their head to try and like stay in a group and stuff like that. We see it here in this episode. We finally see Thompson's plan of how he is actually probably the most important person in the group that keeps everybody together. Like Thompson gets his due, kind of, but in a terrible way. Well, therein lies my issue on this episode. Oh, okay, go. Go, go, go. And I'm suspicious that that maybe this will get fixed. My reaction might be judge it, judged on I'm only so far this far in the story. But I'm I'm not I'm not happy with the way that they've it, this and and I felt a tingling of this before with Thompson. It, this goes back to the it's Breakfast Club factor where you know oh they learned all these things about themselves, but at the end the nerds still wrote all their homework for all of them in the. The jock still got the pretty girl and all that stuff. But he's there's just a lot of casual bullying in this episode. And then it's it's sort of revealed as a good thing. It's what bonds us together is our is our sort of bond of we all like to pick on this guy and his such lack of self-esteem that he'll keep coming back to be the center of it because at least it's attention from somebody <laughs> type of deal. You know, the guy's licking moldy bread and Dipper, who is sort of, as I said, has been the whipping boy so much now gets to push somebody around and there's no, there's no pushback plot wise. And this show has been really good at being nuanced with that. They, even when like they would like stand and, and, um, they, they, when they would pick on Dipper, there would be well, uh, like everybody when when they would all gang up on Dipper, they would they would still be sort of like, oh okay, yeah, we're picking on Dipper, okay, sorry. And th- there isn't that with Thompson. It's it's sort of lauded as like okay, bullying fixed everything. <laughs> so yeah, that was a little fly in the ointment for me. It, it doesn't kill it, but it just stands out a little bit in contrast to how they've dealt with other issue interpersonal issues in in this show the show's like i i don't want to say remarkably because it's 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 remarkable to me because i'm used i grew up with scooby-doo there's so much more emotional depth in cartoons it seemed like that would be something that they would they would they would nuance that situation a little more but season's not over either so i'm actually really glad that you because i i started writing out a very similar note but I was like, we're probably going to talk a lot about, like, the queer stuff and, like, the meta of this episode. So I was like, it was a note that I did cut. Because, yeah, you're right. You're right. Because I'm going to spoil it for you now. It, this is this is about it for Thompson. This is his arc from Inconvenience. Okay. And it's always the fat kid, too, you know? It's like, yeah. hey, it's, it's, it is a stereotype, and he's allowed to be the stereotype through the whole show. So funny, I, I actually cut out this, too, so... of. I, I've said it before, I really love Vry Kaiser's reviews of when they did their rewatch of Gravity Falls, and they actually specifically noted about this episode, I don't like what this implies about Dipper's future high school years, frankly. In what, what, in what way? Do you, in what way? About, like, the frantic attempt to fit in with Wendy's other friends is what it's in reference to, about how automatically falling in and just like using thompson and yeah now that he's the step up above he's not the thompson anymore he was kind of the thompson this entire time like you were saying and now he's not there so immediately he falls into the role of bully 
a bully, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cycle of abuse. But at the, at the same time, I mean, it's not an unusual thing to happen with kids like that. But, that you know, there's ways of seeing they're in that age bracket. Not that everybody's in that age bracket, but they're in a special, specially focused learning curve. They're in a, like a, a different social learning curve in those age where like everything is is trial and error and mistakes and horrible bungles and super i guess cringe would cover all of it <laughs> it would be the good the umbrella term for for the, those ages that's the thing is if any of us could watch just like look through a viewer and watch ourselves at 12 years old i would never do it i would never do it I would want to punch myself in the face. I would be like, what a little asshole I was. You know, I would see like me do like say horrible things to people in classes or, you know, there's all sorts of things that you, you know, that every kid does that, you know, now are like terrible, but you learned it then. So like watching yourself learn would be the most painful, awful that you would just hate yourself. The last time I moved um, a few years ago, uh, maybe about seven years ago, as I was unpacking, like, as I was packing my things to go from one house to another, I found a notebook of mine from, like, ninth grade. And it was... Ooh. Oh, it was trash. <laughs> I didn't keep any records when I was a kid. I'm glad. In the, in the background of this episode on the wall, like, Robbie has a poem written in black light that says something along the lines of, like, I only cry in the rain because nobody can see my tears. I, I almost noted it in the background information, but it didn't. But he, that, that is something that's written on Robbie's wall in the background. That was pretty much my notebook. It was just like, <laughs> I love this boy. And there's actually... <laughs> they say the human body is 98% water. Yet, how can I weep five bathtubs full? My my favorite part of this notebook is on a single page, and there's nothing else there. There's a tiny little smudge, and then I have an arrow pointed to it that's above it that reads, My blood! <laughs> and, it's like, <laughs> and it's the tiniest little, like, dot on the page, and it's all by itself! <laughs> I gotta tell you, when I was in college, and I still got it, there's there's a book and it was a bestseller and they made one for men and one for women. It was a guide to men's body and a guide to women's body or something, a handbook to a man's body. And it was basically an anatomy book and just general health and of what your body does over the ages and, and all that and the different types of bodies. And it's it was just a, like a field guide to the human body. And I picked it up when at the end of a school year. Uh, somebody like at the end of the school year, a lot of people would graduate and just leave their stuff outside for the garbage to pick up. And we would go through and get books, TVs, new sofa, better sofa or something, you know, all the, all that stuff. And I found this book and I was just like, oh, OK, this is a good reference book. And this this girl had obviously had some some issues with her with herself and her self image and had written in the book. And I, I saw it like a couple years back, you know, I was putting it on the shelf and I was like, oh, I remember that. And I started reading it and I was like, oh, my God, I, I have to imagine she was about 19 years old. So it's just very 19 years old and like not happy with her body and the day the different types of breasts and arrows pointed. This is me, you know, and oh, no. sort of sprawl, 
scrawled in the book. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Oh no. Yeah, finding stuff like that is weird because it's like intensely personal, but at the same time anonymous. There was one time when I was a waiter that I like there was a family eating there that ate like all the time at the restaurant and and they were very friendly and but it was kind of awkward that one day and and but it was busy so I wasn't really engaged with them but you know hi how you doing and stuff and I'm like okay they're involved in something and just did their food and at the end I'm clearing off the table and there's like a crumpled up piece of paper I'm just like grabbing all the stuff and I see there's writing on the paper and I just sort of casually opened it up and it's like dad please don't go we don't want you to leave mom and us oh, no. <laughs> and it's been crumpled up and put in a glass of water oh and I was just standing there just like ah, oh man <laughs> oh. yeah so what did you think of Stan's D-plot <laughs> god Stan's B-plot was Stan's B-plot was great because it's the it's very Stan-like, but it's also very old man who's out of touch with with youth, tr- just destroying everything by trying way too hard to identify with the youth. Seuss just mentions money, <laughs> basically, and Stan's like, ah, money, and he's like, balloons. They like balloons because balloons. It it just showed the old guy mindset of like, I'll do something the kids understand, and I'll try to help. The, and it was, you know. It's it's like Lenny with his mice that he keeps breaking their necks because he handles them too too hard. It's that that sort of thing, and it just ends in disaster. <laughs> yeah, gosh, Stan's B plot is just so much fun because it's just it's a failure from start to finish. It's funny, horrible, and tragic. Yes, in in all the right ways. The only like thing I kind of gleaned from it though, in, in the framework of last week's episode where we got a lot of the Seuss backstory and like we got to the backstory of how like Seuss and Stan met and stuff like that, and where I was saying like that episode kind of recontextualized like everything of Stan and Seuss's relationship, and I liked it because like Stan was ready to like shoot balloons out of the sky and kill some hipsters, but it, like but Seuss is the one that comes up and goes. I think we could turn this into a business opportunity. And it shows that Stan listens, like, even though everything fails. Well, because he said basically business opportunity yeah. is just like, ching. But, like, Seuss <laughs> knew to, to say that, and right. Stan knew to trust right. it. And I, I like that because, like, after what last week's episode, like, when we have the context of their past, um, it kind of just adds a little bit to that scene. So, but did you have anything else for Love God? No, not really. All right, so if that's it for everything, now we're going to read from journal number three. Um, We've already read a little bit, so one of these entries is from Mabel, and the other one is from Dipper, because there's nothing on the love god from the authors. That would make sense. Yeah. So the first one's from Mabel, and it says, Love Potions! Mabel here. Dipper asked me to write about love potions because he's busy hanging out with the teens while they all try to cut their overpriced woodstick and mission wristbands off with a hacksaw. Been there, done that. <laughs> I have definitely tried to like fight my way out of like from like concert wristbands. Some things you need to know before you try to use love potions. A love potion is powerful. It made a snake fall in love with a badger, and they're like natural enemies. Anti-love potion seems awful. I tasted a little bit of it, and it tastes like tears, runny mascara, and day-old ice cream eaten right out of a tub. No thanks, Buster. 
And then it has the next part about the three-hour thing and then how t- Robbie and Tambri are still making out ten hours later. And she ends with, I guess love is a mystery, except to Grunkle Stan. He says the only true love is of money. And then the other part is Dipper. And it's a brand new entry from Dipper, and it's of Stan's balloon on fire, and in big red letters it says, Nightmare Head. <laughs> and under it, Dipper writes, This is what comes from Stan's love of money. This terrifying Gravity Falls oddity was created by Stan for once. He's scared and scarred a large crowd of people with this thing, thinking that all press is good press. After this horror show crashed, Sheriff Blubs and Deputy Derlin shot at it for about 10 minutes to make sure it was dead. Then children stomped on it and spat on its face. On the bright side, Robbie's parents seemed delighted by it. They creeped me out almost as much as the head. But a side note, call me crazy, but I keep thinking I'm seeing those government agents everywhere. Maybe I just feel guilty about letting them being eaten by zombies. And that is the journal entry for this week. All right. Now it's time for the Cypher Corners and connections to previous episodes. So most of the connections to the previous episodes were just in the background and background characters. When they first arrive at Woodstick, you can see several members of the band several times that were released into the forest, rifling through trash cans and finding food inside of trash cans. (laughs) I love several times. Also at Woodstick, Agent Trigger and Agent Powers, the government agents, can be seen in the background. And in a very quick scene from the episode Society of the Blind Eye, the now memory-erased blind Ivan, the dude with all the tattoos on his face, he can also be seen in the background, because of course now he's the traveling musician, toot toot. They should have put him on the second stage, <gasps> like one of those little tiny stages by the Porta Johns. They should have had him... That would have been great! playing his banjo that would have been so good they should have oh my god and as always there are two cryptograms uh now in season two the one at the end of the credits once it's deciphered reads i eat kids and then the flashing page cryptogram refers to agent powers and agent trigger and it reads at the play or at the fair i always see them standing there dressed in black they're on my lawn but when i turn my head they're gone yeah i'm gonna i'm going to uh add to my speculations they're they're obviously like uh, obviously the book came after the show but like at this point in the story between the cryptograms and the the amount of times they've had the agents in here and and the book they're definitely stressing that you know they want people to know that the agents are still around so they're 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 giving a little nudge towards that. It, now it could be a it could be a false trail too, because that's how you do that sneaky shit. So what are your speculations and theories for this episode, Chris? At this point, Dipper and Mabel, I think I only have one. They basically though, they have in plot wise in their pockets, and now actually the the journal confirmed it too confirmed one of them they have the as i said last time they still have the time machine it is technically still sitting in their backyard probably if they don't if they hadn't picked it up already now they have some anti-love potion both of those things belong to Chekhov. so we'll see if we we'll see if the anti-love potion comes in handy at some point i wanted to pose a question to you so we have talked about before how 
supernatural and weird things from outside of Gravity Falls comes to Gravity Falls. We've had the cloning with several time span. We had time travelers like Blendon Blandon. We had the Giffany video game girlfriend and Seuss and the Real Girl. And now we have the Love God. And do you have any theories about why things are drawn to Gravity Falls of all places? Yeah, it's a magnet for whatever reason. There's, it's either closer, it's either closer to like other dimensions or the spirit world or whatever you're going to call it. Cause I mean, that you got Bill Cipher moving back and forth and hanging out there. And, but you've also got people opening up portals too. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, an, a place that whether it's, whether consciously or not is attracting that, that kind of attention. And, you know, we talked about a little bit about that in Society of the Blind Eye. There, there's a reason that Fiddleford McGucket made an, incredible, an entire society because Gravity Falls was being terrorized for so long. Yeah, like if this was a proper horror movie, they'd be near a Hellmouth or something like that. Oh, my God, it's Buffy. <laughs> they live on the Hellmouth. Oh, they did. The, I, I've never seen Buffy. I've never seen the movie or any of the TV shows ever. I, it was my older sister show, so I would definitely catch like episodes here and there. So I'm I'm familiar with Buffy, but I've never fully have sat down and watched Buffy from beginning to end. Um, I know our me and my patron Kate, and actually Billy might have been there too, but I know for Kate for sure. Um, I remember sitting down and watching the musical with Kate, the musical episode, and like we would act out scenes and stuff in Megan's basement. So hey, segue to my lovely patrons, because I hey Kate, what's up? <laughs> So I do want to take a moment to thank my wonderful patrons. You guys are actually, was that all your theories and speculations before I move on? Yeah, that was it. Okay, I just want to make sure. I, I want to take a moment to thank my lovely patrons. Uh, we're going into a new year. This is exciting. We're coming up to our, well, we're a few months away from year one of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. It's going to be here before we know it. And I'm super excited with it. And I hope you, you guys enjoyed your little gifts because my patrons all got little christmas gifts for for christmas and you get cool things like that but so i hope you guys all enjoyed it because you guys really do mean so much to me chris thanks you too i signed the cards in chris's name <laughs> <laughs> i saw that yes you can just put my x down there it was so i i wrote uh with love hope and then parentheses i said chris is grateful too but he is not here so just pretend he's signing the card i had to get one of those little signature stamps and just send it to you and you can just like chunk chunk Actually, that's that might not be a good idea. You sh actually, people probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. It looks so obviously like a stamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it shouldn't even say your name. It should just say the words Chris's name. <laughs> It'll just be an X. <laughs> <laughs> just get a stamp of an X and, and use that. So I do want to take a moment to thank Patrick, Bree, Kate, Alex, Jean, Brian, Heather, Billy, and Lynn. You guys mean so much to me. I love you guys so much. I am so thankful that you guys are my life. I'm so grateful to go into another year with all of you. And I'm having, you know, I just love you guys. Thank you so much for being part of the show because you really are a big part of the show and help keep me going. And I love it. I love you guys so much. So thank you. All right, Chris, what are your final thoughts on this episode? I liked it. The bullying left a little bad taste in my mouth. A little, little, little disappointed in the guys. Uh, they've been so good with with the interpersonal relationships. But otherwise, it was there was a lot of fun stuff in it. There was a lot of stuff that reminded me of things that I've <laughs> experienced in my life. So it was fun. There's a lot of the jokes and humor and references in this are for are to things that are like 
20 years beyond the people who were watching it. There, there were there were references to stuff from 20 years before that. That that festival basically was Lollapalooza, which was the 90s. Yeah, I mean, even the name uh, uh, Woodstick is a reference to Woodstock. It's even further back, yeah. For me, this is a fun episode. Um, it's not my favorite. I, I think it's a perfectly fine little episode. There's no bad episodes of Gravity Falls. But this episode is completely important in a completely different way, and it's because of the meta stuff. The meta of animation, what this episode signified in the history of animation, what this episode signified in the history of Disney animation, specifically with the queer content. So while story and character-wise, this is not an important episode of Gravity Falls, this is an important episode because of everything that happened behind the scenes, everything that Alex Hirsch fought for, that he was very vocal about. And I, I honestly, and, and I don't I don't have the information to like back this up, but I honestly do believe this is one of the things that got the ball rolling in Disney animation for us to have something like Owl House. Alex Hirsch being annoying. Yeah. God bless him. God bless him. And God, God he is so wonderful. Uh, uh, him... Him calling the really Rudy Giuliani hotline as Stan and Sue's is still just the highlight of my 2020. <laughs> I sent those to Chris, and Chris is like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at 2TrueFreaks.com. That's our website. You can go there and uh, see all our shows, including the show I do with Hope called J-Guys and Jedi, which is a Star Wars animated podcast we're just about we're so close to starting resistance right now we're we'll be we'll be starting resistance by the time this we'll be in resistance oh yeah 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 but as in the time now all the all that stands between us and resistance is is the rise of skywalker and (laughs) resisting and on that website you can look at all the shows you could sign up for their rss feed there or you could do it at itunes you can also find us on Facebook. We have a couple Two True Freaks pages on there, the Two True Freaks podcast and the Two True Freaks Cantina. We are also on Twitter with Two True Freaks, run by Gene Gene, the Twitter machine. And also, speaking of Gene, Gene, also check out our patron Gene and Chris's uh, show that they're working on together, which is an audio drama of Strangers in Paradise over on Two True Freaks. It's an interesting work that I've always, I knew a lot of people who read it. I'm only beginning to, you know, I'm doing it as we go along. And it's, 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 it's interesting. It's, it's good so far. It is, it's, it's an odd thing. It is a, it was publicized at the time as a feminist story, but it's written by a guy. It's, and it's very 90s. It's action packed. I've gotten to do the sound of a car crash. I'm going to, have to do the audio of a uh, a woman w- woman beating up a guy who did her her roommate wrong puts clown makeup on him and hangs him up on a flagpole with a with a magnifying glass in front of his peepee. Oh. I have to portray that in sound, hope in sound. I have to get that across through the imagination and in the ears and that's it. So if you want to hear Strangers in Paradise, just check out the show notes and there's a link down in the show notes for you. But you can also go to twotruefreaks.com and look it up as well. Yes, yes. And it's the Akadekadekanagan Theater works that is the page that we're on. Because we do it. We've done some other stuff. We've done some horror, old time horror radio shows based on old public domain comics that are fun. They're goofy. They're goofy as hell. So we've got Strangers in Paradise and Goofy Horror. But that's where you can find me. Where can they find you, Hope? 
You can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. That's my website where you can read all my editorials and reviews and all sorts of things over there. Of course, I talked about my lovely patrons. Um, and you can find that at patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. You can follow me at Hope Molinax on Twitter. And as Chris said, we have another podcast called J Guys and Jedi. And you can follow us at J Guys and Jedi on Twitter. Oh my gosh, Chris. You want to know the title? of next week's episode. It's actually one of my one of my favorite episodes of the season. Hit me. It's called The Northwest Mansion Mystery. Hmm. It's one of my favorite Let's episodes see. of the season. The Northwest Mansion Mystery. And I will say the episode after that, so two weeks from now, is my favorite episode of the entire series. Oh. Mm-hmm. We're almost in my favorite episode of the entire series. I'm so excited. But next week is The Northwest Mansion Mystery, and... It's a fun one, and remember what we were saying about how, like, two little lady old ladies are not okay, but keep a pin in it for next week? Uh, oh, okay, maybe this one's gonna go Lovecraft. You'll just have to see and find out. I will, I will, <laughs> I will have to see and find out. It's my homework for next week. Alright, you guys, we'll see you next week. You can find out how that wine tastes. Oh, I'm so excited to drink wine on a podcast. I do it so rarely, but, you know, of course, by the time this comes out. So if you, if you want to hear Hope drink wine on a podcast, go to Jedi's and Jedi and look up the Rise of Skywalker commentary. It's going to be fun. When, when Hope gets old and just doesn't care anymore, there's the and I don't care anymore, there's just going to be the podcast called Hope, and Chris drink, Hope Makes Chris Drink Wine With Her. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Why are we not already doing that? Oh, yeah. Because... Yeah, no, we wait till we're older and our and we don't really care what happens to our livers. <laughs> All right, you guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.